0: And we're going to talk more about it in winter because you all got to come next year with us but i from the bottom of my heart and the bottom of our hearts we are grateful for all the giving and receiving done both by us and by the, our friends in Pungasi to make that week a great success and where we can give the kids and their families a wonderful week of summer camp on the beach where they can have lots of fun leave camp with full bellies have great tasting food, and have a wonderful week at camp. So thank you for everything and all of your prayers. And if you would like to talk to me after and ask some stories, I will be around. And I see Enid, and I see Judy, and I see Cheryl, and there might be a few others slumbering in because we're really tired from a great week. Do feel feel free to ask us questions about what it means for us to be in partnership with Pangasi First Nation because it's great. Thanks.
1: Our call to worship is Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained, obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, be with us this morning as we come to worship you. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Amen.
0: Near. Join us in glad adoration. Number 37 in the blue hymnal Praise to the Lord the Almighty.
1: This morning, we're going to pray the prayer that we've also given to you to pray at home, on your trips, or wherever you are during the summer. There, as you do, you can hold up your arms in praise, cover your heart in gratitude, and fold your hands together in awe and adoration. If you would like to do that as I lead you through our prayer this morning, you can as well. So let us pray together. Lord, I consider all that is beautiful in our world, and I throw out my arms in praise. Lord, I consider all who are part of my world, and I cover my heart in gratitude. Lord, I consider all in my world which I do not understand, that which is wonderful and that which is not. And I fold my hands in adoration and awe. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 36 to 44. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death." "'Remain here and stay awake with me.' And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, "'My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. "'Yet not what I want, but what you want.' Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, "'So could you not stay awake with me one hour? "'Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial.' The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words.
2: Last week, I spoke about God being big and small, for lack of larger words. God immense, the maker of the universe, the one who holds all things together in Christ, becoming small, sharing humanity, dying to make atonement for the sins of humanity and defeat death, according to Hebrews, as we began it last week. Hebrews then elucidates. There's a bigger word, elucidates. Elucidates that somewhat in chapters 7 to 10, very heavy chapters, which need a lot of Old Testament interpretation, which we won't delve into very deeply. But in those chapters, it uses the rubric of an Old Testament that the Israelites had, the practice of the blood of sacrificed animals and high priests who performed those sacrifices, taking away the sins of the people. Well, in Hebrews, the letter, this kind of sermon, the distinctions become a bit fuzzy, as Jesus is seen as both the one who performs the sacrifices and the sacrifice himself, the intermediary role between God and people, the one whose lifeblood is the avenue of forgiveness. Well, I'm not going to go into that system of the Old Testament any further today, except to note how it's very central to this letter in Hebrews. That God is immense becomes human small, so that through suffering, death, and life, blood, destruction of sin would be destroyed. Now there are a few theological points that are made in this scenario: one, that God is over everything and makes all things and gives things reason and purpose; two, that sin destroys those purposes and reasons; three that God then enters our reality to restore the purpose and reason, forgiving sin through suffering, death, and lifeblood. Four, that this happens through Jesus. And five, and we're going to go there next time, not in today's sermon, that we now get to live according to this gospel, this message. Now, we might deduce that because these were what were being addressed, those are the wonderings that the people that were receiving the letter of Hebrews might have had. As I said last week, there was a line I liked when I was wondering, reading about it that said their understanding of Jesus maybe was inadequate to their context, and so they needed to have a reminder of who Jesus was in the life that they were living. Well, our current post-Christian and globalized world now provides the context for this message, how we name it, how we speak about it, believe it or follow it, or dismiss it for many, is our Christology, our understanding of Jesus, adequate for our context? Is it believable? Is it life-changing? Is it relevant to use an overused word? If so, last week I suggested, I hope a bit clearly anyway, that this means understanding God as big enough to handle the big life questions of our current world and faith wanderings and concerns and, but not only, the small and individual lives and sins that have been the hallmark of our Christian identification. You see, we live in a large world, a globalized, connected, complex world, in which Jesus needs to be big enough to address its issues and the sins that destroy it and us, while being small enough to assure us that our own seemingly insignificant lives aren't simply insignificant. And doing that, one theme that comes up and is repeated over and over and over in Hebrews is suffering and death and lifeblood. If spoken of in the language of high priests and sacrifices, well, it might be hard to grasp and likely feel unimportant like it's just something they used to talk about. But if spoken of differently, maybe not, maybe then very real, and that which helps us to embrace those as central to our message and living, the core of a faith that is a Christ who is sufficient for us and our world. I'm going to ask the kids to come forward for the time with the children. If you look in your bulletins, um, Sean pointed out to me this morning that the first part is that Jesus suffering, and then it says time with the children. He says, I hope those aren't connected, and... I I don't think they are, actually. But I'll have all of you come up here now. Oh, you're going to sit way down there. Come up a little further, everybody. Sure. Good to see you all. Yeah. Boy, you look so, so good, you'd almost think you weren't in school, you know? You'd almost think you were at home every day with your mom and dad doing everything for you and you doing everything for them, having fun? Well, I want to ask you a question. A couple of weeks ago, I gave you all a prayer. Do any of you remember it at all, what we did? Maybe not. I'm going to keep doing it so we remember it. It was called our summer prayer. And you know what we do? We go like this. You say, I'll put your hands out there. And we thank God for something wonderful. So does anybody have anything great that has happened this summer that you could say, thank you, God? Does anybody have anything? What have you been doing this summer? Yes. You went to your Opus' house. Great, and that was thankful. What else? Anything else? Yes, Mabel. You smiled, right? I'm thankful to God for your smile. I would go like that. Yeah. Anybody else? Anything that's been so much fun this summer that you just have to throw up your hands and say thank you, God? Oh, you guys gotta start having some fun. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to start. Okay, here's another one I'm gonna ask you. Here's the other one. Can you do this? Okay, I chugged that prayer too. Okay. Has anybody in the last while in summer been so special to you that you just say, Oh, I'm so thankful for that person? Do anybody have somebody like that? A friend or a yes. Your school teacher. You like your school teacher. Oh, there's a lot of teachers out here that are going to be glad to hear that. Yeah. Yes, Lewis. Hey. Who? Friend. Your friend. So you say, thank you. Right? Yeah, we can do that. I think that's great. And then the last one I have is that in the evening, we go like this. And we don't always know how everything was good or bad during the day, but sometimes at the end of it, we just rest with God. And we just think of all of it and we say, thank you, God, that it's in your hands. So I hope that all the good things that you're enjoying in the people, you can do that at night, too. You know, there once was a little boy years ago, and he was kind of taught... There was a bowl of candies. It wasn't quite a candy like this. And he was taught that you are always supposed to let somebody else take the candy first. Have you ever been taught something like that, like let the other person go first? No? Good. Good. No. <laughs> some of you say yes. Some of you say no. Now, here's the question. When you are taught that, do you do it? That's hard to do, isn't it? To let the other person go first, right? Ah, oh, I remember that little boy looking into that bowl and it was a black candy with a wrapper on it. You could take the wrapper off, and you got that black candy. And that little boy looked at that candy and looked at that candy and looked at that candy, just kind of like you could look at this one, just looking at it. And you know what that boy couldn't do? Because his mom had told him not to. He could not have that candy before everyone else had had a chance to have that candy. Now, Sometimes we're told those kind of things, and it doesn't make us very happy because it's just kind of like something we're not supposed to do. But you know what I think? I think that that mom was telling that little boy not to have that candy first because, well, I don't know, giving that candy to someone else would have made that other person sad, right? Or would giving that candy have made them happy? What do you think? Would giving the candy to the other little to the other one have made them happy or sad? Happy, yeah. Sometimes we think that all the things we are told to do are just things that we can either do or can't. But sometimes we wonder if us not having something maybe makes somebody else happy, and sometimes that's a pretty good reason not to do something or to do something. Got a picture here for you. See that picture? Yep. Yeah. That's how all of you are going to look someday. <laughs> yeah. You are going to be that big. You're smaller now, but you're going to be big. I remember when these three were quite small, just like you, and I have pictures of them, and they're great. Well, you know, one day, something was happening to one of these three, and it was already while they were this big, and one of the other ones in this picture, they said something that we actually wrote down in our book. They said... I would trade my happiness for the happiness of the other one, so that they would be happy. Wow, I thought that's pretty special. They would say, I would rather that that person be happy if I can't be as happy as I would like to be. Kind of like looking at something that you really want, and sometimes you're going to have it, you're going to be yours to enjoy. Other times, maybe it's important to say, I would rather give it to someone else so that they can be happy. So, we're going to talk about that a bit in church today and talking about how the things that we do and that are hard sometimes make other people happy. So here's one thing I'm going to leave with you. It's Sunday, right? Yeah, you're home. Yeah, your parents or someone's home with you. What do you think would make them happy? Would they like to kind of like, yeah, Maybe do some work for them that might make them would it make you happy? Maybe not. No, but it might make them happy, right? No, but that's exactly it. Anything else? Do sometimes do your parents like to have quiet time on Sunday afternoon? Do they like to be quiet? Do they say to you guys, let's could you be quiet, please? Do they ever say that? No. No. Oh. oh. Well, you know what you can try and do? Today, here's my here's what I'm gonna ask you to see if you can do. When they say I'd like to have a little quiet time to go read my book. You know what you can say to them instead of saying, please come play with me? You say, yeah, go read your book for two minutes. Yeah, And then come and play with me. What I mean to say is maybe you can make your parents happy this afternoon by doing something that maybe you would rather do, but letting them do something that they would like to do. Let's pray, and then you can go back to your seats. God, we are thankful. Thankful that we are led by you to live in ways that can make other people happy. I pray that we will know how to do that in ways that also make us happy as we do it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go back to your seat.
0: Christ is faithful, and we can find him even in the midst of the shadows of life. I will come to you in the silence. The words will be on the screen.
2: Now I should be. There we go. I got unplugged. Years ago, when he was in grade six, our son Andrew was a soccer player on a Steinbach team. Now, I don't know what it was, but it seemed most important many years to beat Blumenort. Now, some of you may be from Blumenort, and I'm sorry if that's a sore spot for you. I think I've heard often about Grunthal and Steinbach. Being from Saskatchewan, I'm not aware of all of the intimacies of local rivalries, But anyway, I'm assuming it was also as important for Blumenort to beat Steinbeck as vice versa. Anyway, that year, riding an undefeated season, our boys went to Blumenort for a big game. I wasn't watching. not sure exactly why, but I do know that we had a house full of people, and I remember that because of what comes next. Apparently, it was a close game, and towards the end, when every goal counted... A foul was committed against Andrew, and he had the opportunity to score on a penalty shot to put the good guys ahead. Well, took to the line, did the run, made the kick, and he missed. They didn't beat Blumenort. And while they didn't lose the game, they didn't win it either, so their eventual undefeated season had an asterisk beside it, I guess. When Andrew got home, we were with a house full of people, he didn't say anything. He went straight to his room and closed his door. So we didn't even get the chance to talk to him then. But we found out later when we finally broke through the door what had happened. While not at the end of the world, it was for him at the time more or less that. It was a suffering moment. What that did though was send him. And me as goalie, onto a soccer pitch behind the SRSS for the next years, time after time after time, practicing free kicks. Sent him, drove him out there in a way which I don't think success would have. Fast forward six years, and he was playing for the SRSS, and they were in provincials. They were down 2-1 to in a semifinal game. So it's lose or win or go home. Again, he was fouled in the box, this time with literally only minutes left to play. So he went to the line again to make likely what was one of the most nerve-wracking kicks that he'd ever had to up to that point in his life, except for the Blumenort one, with his parents barely able to watch, one of them, I think, making an emergency trip to the bathroom so they didn't have to. He might have missed it again, but he didn't. He made it. Like I said, he could have missed it again. You don't always hit what you want. But failure and earlier suffering had led to dogged practice and determination, which led ultimately to something else. Now, it's hard to find those who have been given life, to life with others, and who are wanting to give life to others, as God would hope for and as they would hope for, who have not suffered to do so. Just a couple of examples. Nelson Mandela led South Africa out of apartheid years ago. As a young man, he had fought against the systematic oppression, even violently, via bombing campaigns aimed at infrastructure in the country, not at people, but at infrastructure. He was eventually jailed as a political prisoner for 27 years. If the cinematic telling of his story is accurate, and there's been a number of movies made, his transformation in prison was truly remarkable. Rather than making him more hostile and angry, the suffering that he endured made him wise enough to, when released, become president four years later, trying to lead a country where both white and black and others would live and work together. Oscar Romero was a priest in El Salvador years ago. A good priest. He was supportive of the government and its backers, but he was, as such, inadvertently a supporter of the status quo, the informal power which kept the formal power in place, the country's rich manipulating and ruling the poor for their own advantage, maintaining their power through fear and torture and assassination violence. Well, Romero's life changed when he became archbishop, and he began to understand and identify with the oppressed poor. His support for the people became so unbearable to the ruling elite that... Deemed a uh, danger to their political and economic interests, he was assassinated in a church while performing mass. Just two examples, you could think of many, many more. Well, we swim in smaller ponds, don't we? Well, we just came back, for example, from... Oops, sorry, I should read the rest of that paragraph, or you might think is a small pond... While we swim in smaller ponds, in our better moments, or let's say that those when we realize life really isn't all about us, we realize the same things about life and life lived with others. Not only that we do suffer, or we give something up, but that we need to, and we want to, so as to realize that which is truly important for us and for life. Our group just came back from Pungasi Family Camp. Kyle told you a bit about it, and I, from what I hear, it's a wonderful place to be, so I would second what he just said. You might all want to go next year. You might not know a woman who used to come to church here, Megan Edwards. She had gone to Prav. She was from Ontario, and she ended up here in Steinbeck after her graduation, and she made Grace Mennonite her home. As part of us, she went to Pungassi, I think, once or maybe even twice while she was here. Now she's been living back in Ontario, where home was, but she has made a commitment to take holiday time to come back here every other year to go up to Pungassi. She's taking her time to go and live and serve and be with others. I've been on a couple of Mennonite disaster service trips with folks here from Grace. We went down to New Orleans on one, High River, Alberta on another. Again, as we were on those trips, some who went who were not retired or pastors who are kind of paid to go to these things, took holiday time to go and restore houses for those who had lost theirs. They were giving up their precious July camping holiday time to give to people as part of a building project. Parents, your classic examples of sacrificial living and suffering... While in your younger years, you may have spent time and money on what you wanted and needed, when children came along, there was a a deep, searing love that began to consume you. And in that, you started to make sure that your children had everything that they needed. Parents. Parents who couldn't get an education will sacrifice and suffer so that their children can. Refugees or immigrants will come to Canada. They'll have their credentials... Not accepted or accredited. They'll have to be less than doing different jobs than they would like to. And they'll take two jobs simply to be able to work in this country and be able to give their kids, the next generation, life that they hope for them. They'll sacrifice and suffer for that. Standing with someone or some group who is maligned and oppressed or marginalized, suffering the shame of association with them. Trying to forgive someone who has committed the unforgivable sin against you, taking the time to shop carefully, living with the hassle of buying stuff with less plastic packaging because the world doesn't need more plastic in its oceans and landfills. I think that anyone who's committed to something knows that suffering, sacrifice, giving of ourselves is the means whereby it's accomplished. In our individual lives, it could be suffering and pain of failure which sends us to a soccer pitch or a basketball court a piano to try again, a guitar, trying at that exam one more time, suffering, sacrificing our time, giving our energy and our enjoyment to that for the purpose of achieving that which we hope for. And anyone who undertakes a great cause for love and the good of others for God, showing mercy and kindness, offering forgiveness, does so knowing not only that suffering may occur, but that it's highly likely that suffering will be necessary if it's going to be realized. So I'd say that in both our own lives, then, or the great causes which are undertaken, it could be said hardly without exaggeration that suffering is required. Required. So back in Hebrews, why would it be surprising that God's desire and hope for relationship between we and God we and each other, we in the creation, and we and ourselves, that forgiveness of sin and the transformation needed to move beyond relationship-destroying living would be expressed and accomplished by any other means than suffering and death. Why would we be surprised to hear that suffering and sacrifice is required? While possibly seeming outdated, Practices such as high priests and sacrifices, which, if you take the time to read Hebrews 7 to 10, you'll read about, the truths that are being communicated there are far from outdated. But we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. And since the children have flesh and blood, he shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are tempted. And during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his submission. Son, though he was, though, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him. So, let us run the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Forgiveness of sin, moving on, changing things, requires life, blood. Of us, as I've said, Remarkably and wonderfully, also of our immense God, who heals us and shows us the way, becoming small among us in Jesus' death and suffering. I don't think that this is a truth that's passé. Maybe some of the things we read about or the way it's expressed might be. But, experientially, knowing that our great God becomes small among us, suffering and dying to change things, is supposed to bring us life, forgive sin and its destructive effects, Revealing the mercy and the joy and the grace that we all hope for and need and want for each other. For as chapter 12 says, the joy set before him. Bringing us into life-giving relationship with God, each other, our world, and ourselves. So, to try and bring that all together. I wonder if that's not the Christ that needs to be spoken of in our social context. If that Christ isn't badly needed you see, in our post Christendom world, we're skeptical of a triumphant, conquering, and domineering God, and our God is often portrayed that way. Maybe we need to be speaking more of God as vulnerable, humble, given enough to suffer and die, a servant who doesn't break a reed, to use Isaiah language. While suffering and death language is used in the gospel, it's often clouded by the image of God as a victorious, chest-thumping, self-proclaiming athlete, screaming and yelling at the top of a bus in a championship parade, rather than one sitting content in a room days later with a knowing smile, reflecting contentedly on what has been accomplished because of suffering and sacrifice. Steve Bell and poet Malcolm Gite join in a song which speaks of God strong in might in contrast to God strong through suffering and death. It's the following. They, speaking of Roman gods, sought to soar into the skies, those classic gods of high renown, for lofty pride aspires to rise, but you came down. You dropped down from the mountain sheer, forsook the eagle for the dove, The other gods demanded fear, but you gave love. Where chiseled marble seemed to freeze their abstract and perfected form, compassion brought you to your knees, your blood was warm. They tired above our mortal plane, dismissed this restless flesh with scorn, aloof from birth and death and pain, but you were born. They called for blood in sacrifice, their victims on an altar bled, When no one else could pay the price, you died instead. Born to these burdens, born by all, born with us all astride the grave, weak to be with us when we fall and strong to save. We usually like to get ourselves into sermons and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to be as a result of who Christ is and what Christ has done, and sometimes we go there too quickly. We'll go there next time in the next sermon. For today, it's not about us, it's about God. Or let's say it doesn't start with us, it starts with God, and then we do in response to the one that we know and follow. So let's leave here today with an image of God immense and small, this God whom we say we worship and live with, this God made small in Jesus, struggling in a garden with what must come and yet joyfully, willingly being given over to it because it's going to bring life. Be thankful, be awed, be hopeful, and be encouraged to know and speak of this God. Amen.
0: let's respond in joy with glorify thy name please stand if you're able the words will be on the screen
1: We've come today for a variety of reasons to find hope and healing, to discover a place of love and acceptance, to find a joy beyond our suffering, and to live out your call in our lives. We ask for courage and strength to reach beyond ourselves in order to truly become part of the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, despite your immense and perfect love for your Son, you did not allow him to bypass the cross. In the same way, there are times when you won't let us bypass hardship or difficulties either, because they are a part of your larger sovereign plan for us. It is only in submitting our hearts to your will that we will find the heart rest for which we so deeply yearn. Dear Jesus, please help us to lay down our agendas that are mostly driven by personal comfort and freedom from pain in the same manner that you did. Thank you that you will never fall asleep on us as your disciples did on you. Give us the strength to joyfully submit to the Father's perfect will. We pray this morning for Thelma Gunther, Margaret Boschman, and Leona Rempel as they struggle with health issues. Please give them healing and hope. We pray for Linda Martins. May she find contentment and joy as she visits with fellow residents at Bethesda Place. We pray for Daniel and Damaris, Joshua and Eliza, as they spend time together as a family. We pray for the women and children who find safety at Agape House. May you hold them close in their distress and upheaval. We pray for Ta and Tay Tren as they mourn the passing of Tay's brother. Comfort them, Lord, as they grieve. And We pray for our high school graduates as they enter a new chapter in their lives. May they remember fondly their classmates and teachers of the past many years and honor and thank their parents who have been active participants in helping them achieve this milestone. Help them to choose wisely as they make decisions about their future. Thank you, Lord, for all of the blessings you bestow upon us each and every day. Please bind our gifts of money with the gifts of our worship and our service. Amen.
0: As we go from this place, we go with God and we will rejoice in We will walk with God. Number 78 in the Green Book,
2: please stand.